Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come ride our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, our guest today is Johan Borelli, who just a few days ago signed on with Gorilla Gravity, so we thought this would be a good time to catch up with Johan and talk about why he thinks Gorilla Gravity is a great fit for him. And on a related note, I highly recommend checking out the conversation I recorded at Gorilla Gravity headquarters with the founders of GG and their composites engineer. That's episode number three of Bikes and Big Ideas. And we'll leave a link to it in the show notes of this episode because I think that conversation provides a whole lot of important context and details to the conversation that I'm having here with Yoan. Now, Yoan and I also discussed the coaching he's been doing, and you should check out BorelliConcepts.com to learn more about that. And in fact, you're going to hear Yoan offer what I think are some pretty good coaching tips in our conversation. We also talk about his background and his first introduction to bikes and to racing, and we talk about his plans for 2021 and beyond. But if you know anything about Yoan, it will come as no surprise to you that our conversation turned into a very wide-ranging one, and so I'm confident that you're going to find a number of interesting gems in here. In fact, when I called Yoan, we just launched almost instantly into an interesting conversation. So basically, I just ended up hitting the record button at some random moment, and we just kept on rolling. So right now, what you are going to hear is us kind of just in the middle of things, and then we'll you know, eventually get around to kind of a proper introduction. So that's what we have on tap for you today. This is another really good conversation. And so let's get to it. Brainwashing. They are brainwashing us. <laughs> Could be. Hey, do you know about this show, The Queen's Gambit? I talk to everybody about it because I love it so much. No. I'm going to force my recommendation upon you. It's a show on Netflix. Is it recent? Or? Yeah. It just came out earlier this year. It's about a chess player. Okay. And it's the best thing I've ever seen, basically. And I don't okay. play chess or care about chess. Okay. But it's fantastic. And it got me going down this like chess rabbit hole a bit. Oh, no way. Again, I don't play, I'm not a chess guy or anything like that, but it led me to a documentary about the current best chess player in the world. This guy named Magnus Carlsen. There's a documentary about him. I think it's available on like Amazon Prime. And it's wild. Like we're talking about how we have to write things down to like. Yes. He literally is not able to stop thinking about chess. Like he oh, wow. at all. So it is if he were having this conversation with us right now, he's rehearsing chess games in his head and he might be nodding along with us and, and engaging in the conversation, but he literally can't, he can't turn it off. And I'm like, that sounds like a curse, <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, I, can you imagine? It just, it's literally, so it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, like when, for example, you, uh, you're about to do something really exciting but this is the kind of stuff that happens to us all the time. You know, like you, you have something like, for example, if, I, if I'm about to do like a really big jump and I go check the jump, I kind of process it. Then the night or, you know, the week before I'm going to do it, like I, that's the only thing I think about. Mm -hmm. I just think about that. You just, you just think about that and then you process it and you like envision any... You know, all the, the parameters, mm -hmm. everything that can happen. And until the day you do it, you just think about that. And then you do it, boom, you release yourself. So this guy is probably just, it's just that in his head. But except imagine if there was never the release part. Oh, yeah, true. 
That's Steph. It's fascinating. And I mean, like, yeah. he's a really interesting guy, but mostly I'm just like, I'm glad I'm not as smart. There are ways to, you write it down or, you know, there are different ways to like kind of try to shut the brain down and he's mm -hmm. literally incapable. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's wow. like, yay, Magnus, you're the greatest chess player maybe of all time, but I would not want that at that price. Wow. Yeah, me, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> the, our ability to shut our brains down is pretty nice sometimes, right? It is. Anyway. Totally. Yeah. So, and there's techniques. There's techniques to do that. Even one drink, not. I don't go. You know, I don't go get obliterated drunk. But like one mm -hmm. drink signals, like okay, you're you're stopping your work day or something. Yeah. And, but like, and and frankly, like movies, like I yeah. I can go get lost in that. But I think man, yeah. oh, and and mountain biking, skiing. Sport is is one of the the best way, and most of the people I think we use sport as a it's a release. You know, it's a it's a bit of an escape to to your daily routine. Yep, you use that to escape that. Yep, and and for me, it's that act whether it's climbing, skiing, mountain biking. If you're just rolling into something that's even a little bit spicy for whatever your ability level is just a little bit of like, okay, I, I need to really be locked in. You can't think about anything else. No. And that, that's a, that's why I always talk about like mountain biking and skiing are my, are my mental therapy. Like I don't, yeah. I don't go to a therapist, but if I didn't have those releases, I definitely would be, you know, totally. it's, it's true. You're right. And especially when you put yourself in kind of like not danger position, but something a little bit risky. You have only, the only choice is to really be in the moment. Like you don't, or you, you can think about the consequences. Like what about if you crash and stuff, but at some point you need to, you need to regroup, go back to the moment and be like, okay, I'm going to put my wheelie or my ski or whatever. And you make your plan and then you make your way out of the situation. Otherwise you, otherwise you screwed I, I actually had this moment, I think it was 10 days ago. So I live in Whistler and one of my buddies is a really good snowboarder. I ski, but I'm not really good at it. <laughs> and then he took me, he took me on like this really steep descent and it was like really lacking snow and it was like kind of cliffs everywhere. And I really felt in that moment, I was like on the edge of my skis on the cliff and I was like, fucking hell why did you take me there like i don't need that and i started to panic you know i really had this moment of panic and i was like i was f picturing myself rolling down like falling down the cliff and everything i took my goggles off put my mask down and i was like okay Johan, you need to to regroup here yeah? because this is a really fucking sketchy situation <laughs> it wasn't for him like he was totally fine but for me it was really sketchy which is kind of which was kind of funny and he was like, well, just go down here. And I was like, dude, you're such a fucking asshole. <laughs> but then I, I really, you know, like I really like went back to myself and I was like, okay, just put your ski here, put your ski there. You got, you got this. <laughs> and then sure enough, I did it. But it was like, you know, like, wow, this buildup of like emotion and stress. And if you get carried away in this kind of stuff, you don't get out of this. You can freeze, you stay there and you're done. <laughs> like, what do we do? We call the helicopter. <laughs> so... So it's a really, uh, like this kind of situation, yeah, it, if you can regroup, it really brings you back down, bring you back to the moment, to yourself, to the situation. And when you can get out of that, it's the best feeling ever. It's, it's really amazing. So this is fascinating because I, I always think it's interesting to talk to people who are operating, say, at a very high level in one sport or almost any activity in life, and then you're going through and having to still deal through the mental aspects of mm -hmm. a different sport. And so when you say like, you know, we were on this line skiing and to someone else, it's maybe not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. Whereas you and I were going to go ride bikes together. The stuff that you were completely comfortable and bored with, I might be mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm kind of sketched out right now. Mm -hmm. So how does the process differ for you, if at all, if you're coming up into something where you're a little bit out of your comfort zone on skis 
versus when you might be a little bit out of your comfort zone on a bike. Do you go through a different process? Do you even think about it? Because one just feels so natural, like on the bike versus on the skis. Yes. I, th I think it, it comes down to, uh, but it, you know, it's like everything. You need to practice everything. And I spent, I've spent all my life on my bike. And, you know, there's, there's barely... There's barely any secret now. Like I, I exactly know, like, and it's really natural. I don't really think about things that I do, like, except if it's something like, you know, like I'm trying a big jump or I'm trying like a really steep line or something that's super sketchy. I'm really going to think about, okay, how do I, how do I ride this thing? How do I ride it? Where do I put my wheels? Where do I brake? Where do I release the brakes? Where, you know, like you, you think about all these things and I know, I kind of know that I can trust myself and my ability no matter what on my bike. On skis, it's totally different. Like I still don't know. Like I'm, I'm like, okay, so the idea will be to just like go straight down the chute and then I make a corner and I stop. But in my head, I'm at the top and I'm like, well, I actually don't know the speed that I'm going to end up at the bottom of that. I have no idea if I'm going to be able to break. And then you, you're like, I just don't know how to do it. So it's a really step-by-step -step process and practice at the end of the day. You need to really need to get comfortable with everything. And it's the same in life. Life is kind of the same. Life in general is the same. Say more. Say, <laughs> Say more about life in general is the same. It just, just repetitions of stuff. Except with life, we're always thrown into new scenarios there's an equal amount of unknown in life as there is totally. on a bike or on a pair of skis, right? Yeah. But you know, like we grow up, we grow up as as child and then we we become adults. And then when we are child, we are really, we are kind of protected by our parents. So we don't really pay attention to all this kind of stuff. And then you become an adult and you start to discover life. And then some people just, you know, they, they get a job they they create a family and they stay like in, in you know like a very uh, it's like a very comfortable and flat life which which is totally fine you know I have nothing against that it's like it's totally uh, it's totally fine and then you don't really have like this kind of crazy thing about life and then when we have or when it happens most of the people we kind of ignore it and then we kind of push them away and we pretend that they don't happen but if you I don't know like if you Kind of, how can I say that? <laughs> if you have a little bit of an unconventional life, then you know you kind of get a little bit more triggered by life. You know, you, you kind of, you kind of attracting that. You kind of, and then you, you have to deal with some, some pretty weird situations sometimes. It's like traveling, you know, you travel the world and everything. And you're always like faced by like some crazy situation. Like, you know, you take your bike and then you go down to Chile, you're on your own and you're like, okay, I have no idea why I'm here. And then you deal with like, yeah, I don't know, you get into a taxi, the taxi driver is fucking weird. He drives you to a wrong place. He wants to uh, fucking kidnap you. <laughs> like, you know, it happens to people. <laughs> this is the, like the more you, you basically go out of your daily routine, the more you're going to be faced to these challenges in life. You know, like I just take an, took an example of travel, but it can be some, some other things. I love this because you started with this example of, you know, let's imagine someone who lives a very sort of safe, comfortable life and maybe isn't, you know, isn't getting out of their comfort zone all that often. The interesting thing about life, though, is pretty much nobody ever will get to stay in their comfort zone life has a way of like throwing haymakers at us totally and i don't know that i've really thought too much about this per se but this idea that if those of us who are passionate about mountain biking or skiing or climbing or all these things maybe that actually is simply good preparation for any moment we're going about a quote-unquote more conventional life or a more conventional day things get thrown at us so maybe when we're out getting scared on skis or on a mountain bike we can just view this as good training for everyday life totally it, it, but it, that's exactly what it is you know like when you if you race if you race at a whatever level like regional races like really local or really high level races you have like a really 
big amount of stress. You know, like it's it's really stressful. And whatever, no matter the level that you are, you, you I go race a little race in Pemberton, like just beside my place. There's like hundred people racing. There's no real, uh, you know, like it's like it's fine. If I win, it's fine. If I get fifth, it's fine. Nobody cares. But you 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 are in the start gate. And you have this stress coming up, you know, you have this buildup of stress, like it's kind of risky, you have to ride fast, you're going to be tired, you're going to really go through all these emotions, it's going to be hard, you know, so it's stressful. Like you're like, you're going to put yourself really in a, in a very vulnerable position on purpose. So you have this amount of stress and emotions building up, and then as soon as you start, this whole stress woof, just releases, and you are in the moment and you do your thing. And the more I think you get you know, to this like really high emotion and then whoosh, everything releases and you feel good again, the more it kind of prepares you to face life with all these challenges. And sometimes you have like, you know, like a really fucking stressful situation where you have like this big amount of like energy and stress. And some people panic, you know, that that's where we, we, we hear like panic attacks. Some people are completely uh, panicking. But if you know how to be like, okay, this is just a moment and it's going to pass, it's going to go back down to normal. Then you're good. You know, you take some deep, big, deep breath. You release it. So basically, biking is the same. You know, even, even without competition, you can put yourself into a really crazy fucking line and you're going to panic, but you're going to get out of that. It's all good. You can walk. You can walk beside it if you want. <laughs> yeah. And maybe with what we were just saying a couple minutes ago, rather than completely panic or get paralyzed or lose it, in those difficult moments of everyday life, if we get a bit more focused, like you do mm -hmm. before you drop in the line, like you're like, oh, here comes the crazy, scary, unknown situation busting through the front door, mm -hmm. whatever that may be, time to get focused and clear, not yeah. be a scattered disaster. Totally. You regroup. Instead of thinking about what might happen, regroup. Go back to the moment. This is my situation right now. How do I deal with that? It's a, it's a mix. I think like we were talking about this chess player earlier, yeah. and you say you say that he's really in his brain, but you know like we we are born as human with like feeling and emotions and a brain, and the both are completely like they are completely different. And I think we need to, we don't really know how to use the brain with using the, the emotions. And I think the both have to work together. Emotions and brain, intelligence and feelings. And right now, some, sometimes some people are too much into the emotions and they are not really at all in the brain. Some people are way too much in the brain and they are stressed and they have worries and blah, and they don't have, and you know, they, they don't really know how to process emotions. So we need to talk make the two work together. And that's what you do on the bike. You, first of all, when you see a line or something crazy, you have like this kind of gut feeling telling you. And you're like, eh, I don't know about that. If you don't know about that, just walk away from it. <laughs> you don't do it. And that's your brain telling you, you know, like you have this gut feeling and then you're like, I don't know how to deal with this thing. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to come back next week. It might be better. That's the two working together. Emotions, brain. <laughs> It's good, no? <laughs> well, you know, now that we're like 20 minutes into this conversation, this is probably a good time for me to say something like, hey, Johan, welcome to hey. Bikes and Big Ideas. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> that was a pretty, or I was thinking maybe we would move some of that conversation later, but we might not. I think we just might leave it exactly the way we've kind of gone this route. Perfect. It's good. Put the introduction in 20 minutes into the conversation. With that as a bit of a prelude, I'd love to hear you talk a bit about your own story and, you know, talk a bit about where you grew up and kind of how you got into bikes and a bit of that trajectory for you. So my name is Johan Barilly. I'm uh, how old? I'm 35. <laughs> Kind of getting old. <laughs> You're getting wiser. You're getting wiser. I'm getting wiser. Yeah. I'm getting wiser. Um, I'm 35. I grew up in the south of France, in Nice, um, just above Nice, in the countryside, in a little village called Pay. And uh, I started mountain biking when I was seven. And I did my first race when I was seven. So we, 
I kind of I grew up in this tiny little village. I think there was 3,000 uh, people living there, and uh, in the same street, there was Nicolas Vuillaz, who grew up there, 10 times uh, world champion, Fabien Barrel, four or five time world champion, and my brother Nico, who became world champion in cross country in junior in 1999, and so basically it was. <laughs> It was like not really avoidable. <laughs> so yeah, I did my first race when I was seven. It was the first race also for Fabien Barrel and my brother. It was a cross country race. Fabien Barrel and my brother won together and by any end. Uh, they were they were uh, so I was seven. They were twelve and thirteen huh. at the time. And. Uh, And basically, this this kind of kind of like Fabien, Nico, and my brother Nico kind of created this kind of synergy. And in this tiny little village, we were probably like 20 kids, just like going every weekend to do some races together and sharing biking. After school, we were on the bikes. Holidays, we were on the bikes. That's how I grew up, basically, on a bike. We had a place where we were building jumps and stuff like that. And then Fabien Barrel, so that was in our street. And then Fabien Barrel used to come telling us to build these jumps that were like way too big for us. And he was basically telling us to build jumps for him. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. So we couldn't, so we couldn't do them, but he was just showing up when everything was done <laughs> doing them. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. So in your neighborhood or town, were bikes a pretty big deal in general? Or did you just happen to know like three or four just absolutely exceptional bike riders? You know what I mean? Was it a was this a broader thing growing up for you or just your very specific little community? It was no, it was a I think you know that that was so that was in uh, 93. Yeah, that was in 93 when I did my first race. So that's that's when basically the all mountain bike movement started to explode everywhere in the world. So we I remember my parents buying VHS of like Brett TP, for example, or Richie Schley, Wade Simmons in the North Shore doing some sketchy stuff on like really super high skinnies and stuff like that. And we used to watch that. You know, like so we knew that the, the mountain mountain biking was like growing and growing. And uh, yeah, that was that was the that was the thing. It was kind of it was kind of cool to be at the the old beginning of that. Yeah, you know, like because I'm still young, I'm still 35, I'm still racing, I still I still bike every day and stuff. But the, just to think about the fact that I started when it was like just the beginning of mountain biking, kind of the beginning. Yeah. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. Like I had no suspension when I did my first race. What was it? You know, this uh, it wasn't even like the the, it was this thing that we had on top of the handlebar, you know, like you had to to push it up and push it down. It was a weird. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to. Find. It was like you know these old road bikes. Yeah. You know, like and that was on the frame. Yeah. So we had the same thing, but, but on, on the, the handlebars? handlebars. You know, like okay. Yeah, you were pushing that up and down, like chuk chuk, like that. <laughs> this is good. Wait a minute. Yeah. I want to know. You're you're like my parents bought a VHS tape player. Did they start showing you videos of Brett Tippy? And they were like, "Son, someday you're gonna grow up and do crazy things on a mountain bike." Or did they just, they supplied the VHS player, you guys got your hands on some of these bike videos. That's, that's, what, we were, that's what we were doing. Okay. Like, you know, like it was just like a, it was a whole family thing and like coming kind of a community thing and we were all like, you know, oh, have you seen the last video and blah, blah, blah. But we didn't even know these guys. We didn't know who Brett Tippy was because there was no internet, no anything. Yep. And you will see like some once in a month, once a month, you will have a magazine and sometimes you will see like race results. So that's that's how you would like see race results, for example, on magazine, like yeah. printed magazine. Yeah. But the race results sometimes will show up like two, three months after the race. It was it was so, it was crazy. It was it was really funny. And the videos like VHS were the same thing. Like we were watching things, but without really knowing where it was, who it was, and we were trying to make uh, to make our own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's some 16 year olds out there listening to us right now and they're like these two sound like they are 500 years old <laughs> it used to be different kids but it was like 30 30 years ago almost I know. I know. it's funny it's hard it is hard yeah. to like even go back and like remember like oh right all of these technologies we use today it's easy to forget that these used to not exist and that wasn't that long ago it's it's crazy like so 2000 that's when i completely switched to downhill 2000 or 2001 so i started at first we were doing some uh, races when i was a kid where we used to do trials downhill cross country and navigation during the same day and it was it was super fun so it was kind of teaching us to do a lot of things on the bike you know, to really learn how to maneuver and do all these things, which was which was amazing. And in 2001, that's when I really switched to downhill. I was I was junior at the time, and I did my first world championship. I did all this all this stuff. And 2004, I became French champion in elite category in downhill, and I did my first elite world championship in léger in France. I f and I think I got like 20 seconds or something like that at the World Championship. The year after, I was top 15 in World Cup in Darnil, uh, same at the World Championship. And at this time, the only way you were getting paid into mountain biking was just based on results. That was it. There was no social media. There was no, like, internet was just starting. I don't even know when ping bike started, but I think it was, it was probably around there. But you know, like media was not part of the way you were getting paid. And so I was one of the, you know, like young, good ones in downhill, but I wasn't, I didn't get any money. I wasn't getting paid. I still have to go to, I still had to go to school. I was just getting like parts deal and maybe a little bit of money to travel to go to the races. That was it. And then there was only the 10 best guys in the world who were getting maybe enough money for a living. And maybe three of the best were getting a lot of money. But it was very, uh, it was all or completely nothing. So it was super tough. And then social media started to come. And now it's really based on social media and media videos and all this kind of stuff now. Results are even, uh, they are important, but they are not the main factor now as a, as a professional athlete. It's kind of funny how everything like in, in, in one, in my career, like I went through like, you know, every, uh, every different aspects of mountain biking and sponsorship. How do you feel about that then? I mean, I, I, it seems to me there's some of the pros and cons to each of the different sort of evolutions of this. Maybe those are kind of obvious, but how do you personally like today think about this that on the one hand, it used to just be whoever was showing up the most on the podium okay, they can afford to make a life out of this versus having all these different avenues and channels these days. What are your immediate thoughts about that? Well, it's, I think it's, you know, it's great. There's a, there's a lot of ways now to, to find a way to get, if, if mountain biking or any type of sport is your passion, there's a lot of ways now to get paid. Like you can be, you can be on YouTube and you can be like a proper YouTuber, like with like creating content and that's your main job, you know, like you're a YouTuber and you, you have to do like two videos a week and every, every day you have to think about contents and what you're going to create and all this kind of stuff. And you actually get paid from YouTube. Sponsors are, might not be your main revenue source, but you know, there's the YouTube way, which is, if you want to do that, great, but it's a full-time job. It's a complete full-time job. Then you can, you can have like social media in some of a way, Instagram and all this kind of stuff. But I think that this is kind of, it's not enough. I think in my way, because you can, you can really, there's a lot of cheating in some ways with social media. You can buy a shit ton of like fake followers. Your engagement is shit. Like I, I don't think that you can start a career just based on Instagram. I think it would be, it would be kind of a mistake from a brand just to do that. And I think social media is based on, for example, race results or who you are on YouTube and all this kind of stuff. If you are like, for example, Aaron Green, for example, his social media, I don't think he's super, you know, like he posts bike stuff and all this kind of stuff. And his social media is relative to his career on biking. 
It's not his social media that made him good biking and created his sponsors. It's, it's the opposite. So it's either you're good, you're really good, extremely good racer, and of course you have a shit ton of value because you you can do a prop, some proper testing for equipment. You can test. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. So I think I think everything is good. <laughs> Punchline: Everything is good. Everything is good, but it's 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 to the brands now to really you know, like differentiate everything and to not be like, oh, uh, I'm going to cut all the salaries from all the racers we have and I'm going to go full on YouTube. No, they all have different values. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different ways to provide value. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I think it's great. And I think that I, I love that there are more opportunities than ever to, like we were just saying, totally. to figure out like what, to be genuinely interesting or genuinely valuable. And yeah. these things evolve and they will continue to evolve. Look, we're having a lot of conversations these days, right? On what is the value of social media or what are the dangers of these things? And I'm actually real happy with the fact that we got a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of different avenues. Brands are thinking about value individuals are thinking about value and how we ought to be spending our time and money and resources. And I think yeah. that's stuff that we probably should just always be doing. We should be doing that a hundred years from now. Right. And, and just thinking about what do we actually feel good about kind of what makes sense in the best sense of that word. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Interesting times. I agree. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me to one other thing I wanted to talk with you about is you are doing some coaching, right? Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about different avenues and channels. seems like that's perhaps one of them. Talk to me a little bit about what this coaching is that you're actually doing and what that looks like. So I moved to Whistler in 2014 and I, I started coaching with my brother because he has a coaching business in, uh, in France. And I started to do some sessions with him, like just, you know, like just to show up and be with him as a guest a little bit and do that. And I, I kind of really, I always liked the idea of, of giving back of my knowledge that I have, you know, of how I ride a bike, my vision of the terrain with racing and everything like the mental preparation, all these, all these aspects that I've learned through racing and towards and through my life. And I really, yeah, I really like to, to give that back to people. So last year, well, two years ago in 2019, I, uh, I had an injury. And uh, so I had a surgery, couldn't race all season. Last year, COVID happened. And so it was kind of like, you know, like there's, there's some signs in life that are kind of telling me that I, that I should do some of the stuff. And I have time, you know, like we all, uh, we all had a lot of time last year during COVID, the first wave in March. We're like, well, okay, the world, the world is shutting down. What do we do? <laughs> so that's when, um, Amanda and I, Amanda, my business partner created by the concept and we, we wanted to start a coaching business. So we did everything during COVID, the first wave of COVID to create a website, get certification to be coach. Uh, business license, all these, all insurances, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, tenure application, and in June we were like, okay, well, it's time to launch. Let's let's go for it. And BC, BC, and Canada were completely restricted. Nobody could travel, and we were like, well, let's let's just try it out. We launch it, and we see if uh, people show up or not. And if they don't, they don't. But we got really, uh, we got booked out pretty pretty quickly. So July was super busy, August was the same, September was the same, and we, we created some skills skill session in Whistler, so twice a week, uh, two hours, like teaching people how to do really bunny up, like all these kind of basic things that we need to learn on the, on the bike, and that are they are pretty fun as well, to work with a group of people, and it's been... Uh, like it's been so fulfilling, you know, for me to be with people and to start a bike ride with them and to really see the, the, the progression in just one bike ride, to really see that they start to understand the terrain and they start to understand how to ride things. And, and for me, it's, it's the best, uh, like it's really the best way to give back to the mountain bike world. It's really cool. That sounds really cool. Are you primarily working with like brand new 
mountain bikers or people that have been doing it for a little bit or people that have been doing it for a really long time? Who who are you coaching? So I pass my uh, PMBI level one, who basically gives me the the opportunity and the ability to to teach very beginning bikers, beginner bikers. Uh, I never had any proper beginners. Like I always had like advanced beginners, let's say, to intermediate to really, really good riders, which is super cool. And the approach is always different, but the feeling is always the same. You know, at the end, the reward is always the same, which is kind of, which is pretty, pretty funny. Like some people, you know, when they learn, they're going to be super pumped on like just going down like a 20, 20 centimeter step without feeling completely wobbly and, and they feel that they are safe, which is, which is the best thing ever. When you, and it's the same with like a really experienced rider. He's going to do like a crazy line, but if at the end he's really feeling sketchy and it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for me as a coach. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> but it doesn't feel good for the person as well. But when you start to feel that people and they feel the same, that they can ride things pretty safely and they feel good about it, goal uh, achieved. Yeah. It's amazing. So to stick with the coaching specific question, I was curious if you have come to find, you know, just for you personally, are there one or two main things, main lessons, main tips that you tend to focus on with all riders of regardless of their ability level, but that you've just found it's almost, I think of this like dance moves, you know, like this, you have your go-to one or two dance moves that either works for to progress a rider of any ability level, or maybe you could answer the question, do you have your one or two go-to dance moves or instruction tips to progress, say, a newbie to an intermediate or an advanced rider to becoming a much better advanced rider? Does anything like that stand out for you or come to mind? I think what's, what, because uh, I really started coaching on my own this, uh, in 2020. So July was really my first client on my own. And so it was like, uh, you know, it was really like experimenting things at the beginning and then trying to find my way. Like how, how do I, how do I teach people? What's my, what's my style? Yeah. And what I've realized a lot is the timing and coordination is what's the most important into biking. Like, you know, like you can, you can enter, like you can have a really good rider entering a really steep shoot way too fast. He's going to grab the brakes in the middle, hit the compression at the bottom, get completely sketchy, and it's not going to feel great. Just changing this timing and coordination and being like, okay, just enter it, enter it a little bit slower. You just look up, you're going to release your brake halfway through the thing, the descent, and you release completely the brakes at the bottom. It's going to completely smooth everything out and your experience is going to be completely changed. And it was just that, just like making people understand that every type of terrain is different and that we have to ride every features of any jumps or in, in a different way is such a big eye opener for people that I think that would be the main, that would be the main thing for me to, to say to people. Just like think about where to brake, where to release the brakes. I've talked about that in another podcast recently, and it's like, basically that's that's the only thing I said. I was just talking about breaking, releasing the brakes, breaking, releasing the brakes. But it's true, and it's the same when you go racing. You know, like when when I race, like I have all these, I know all this stuff. But then when you are in the start gate, you become completely dumb. <laughs> you forget everything. You're like, okay, it's race day. Let's go full gas. And then you completely blow up every corner. You break late. You exit every corner on the pedals. And then after two minutes, you completely cross side. You cooked. You don't see anything. And you, you're just a fucking mess. And that's basically what I've been doing sometimes at the races. And I, I need to have like one or two stages at, at, at the minimum to get kind of in the rhythm and to be like, okay, I need to uh, get back to the basics here <laughs> and think about this kind of stuff. And then sure enough, everything goes better after that. That's great. I just very recently had a conversation on this podcast with Sage Catabriga Alosa, who, you know, just this 
I don't know, bit of an idol of mine when it comes to like big mountain skiing. And he's also really good on a bike too. But that was Sage's answer when I was asking him if he's working on anything in particular on a bike. I mean, he's skiing at such an elite level. Yeah. And uh, he's like breaking. It's just all about cornering, all about cornering and breaking. And he's like, and we were kind of talking about like, does anybody feel like they don't need to get any better at cornering? You know, is there anybody out there who's like, I have arrived. I have reached nirvana when it comes to cornering. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't know. I would say, I would say Samil, out, just out of my mind, Samil and Richie Reed okay. are probably these two uh, <laughs> they, guys that probably reached the, uh, they've hit. The, the nirvana of uh, cornering. Okay. <laughs> Those two. And then the rest of us are just, we'll, we'll continue to try to reach the mountaintop. The Narvana or the Nirvana? It's the Nirvana, not the Narvana. The Narvana is, a, is my bike. <laughs> That's true. It's the Nirvana. They reached the Nirvana. <laughs> That's good. Well, speaking of bikes, there was a pretty big announcement real recently, right? In fact, like just a couple days ago, I think. Friday. Friday, yeah. And we're recording this uh Three days later. Monday. Yeah. Is it Monday now? It is Monday. Monday I, I just looked. Yeah. It's officially Monday. But yeah, this is really interesting. A new partnership with Gorilla Gravity. Yeah. I had a great time a, a while back, you know, heading to Denver, heading to Gorilla Gravity headquarters and sitting down. Oh, no way. Sitting down with those guys and um, cool. really, really good conversation with them. And so talk a little bit about how that came to be. And, you know, you've worked with some different companies and just your thoughts of what it was about what Gorilla Gravity has going on that was interesting to you. Yeah, let's let's start from the beginning because it's a, it's a cool. Uh, I think it's a cool it's a cool journey. Since since a long time, you know, I've I always felt that I had like a really big unbalance with the way I'm living my life, with traveling to the races and like you know like wasting a lot of things and not really paying attention to all this stuff and like my some values that i have with with the environment and the things that we do in life you know like we i think we we really need to be careful what to do these days because otherwise we're going to hit the wall and we probably are hitting the wall already but at some point we're going we might hit a point of no return and it's going to be pretty people are talking about oh 2020 was pretty crazy but 2020 might just be the beginning of it all. So fasten your seatbelt, people, because if we don't do anything, it's going to be uh, pretty chaotic. So, I was, you know, like thinking, thinking about all this kind of stuff and and the knee injury and, and all these things, COVID, and it was like, I, you know, like I really talk openly about the environment and the things we do and, and climate change in some ways and all this kind of stuff. And at some point I was like, I need to do something about it. Talking is great. You know, like spreading awareness and all this kind of stuff is great, but at some point I really need to do something about it. And my job is to be a mountain biker. I'm kind of good at it and I'm not going to become a dentist because, you know, like... Because you're <laughs> not that that's good at passion. it. I'm a, I'm a mountain biker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. And if I can, if I can show a different way to people to do it a little bit more uh, consciously and... and and sustainably, then that will be my journey into mountain biking now. So I had this vision where I kind of wanted to find a brand who doesn't really promote to change bike everywhere, every year for like a five mini, five millimeter longer and a little bit slacker and all this kind of stuff. And I wanted to, to have a, a brand that kind of communicates the, almost the opposite, you know, like keep your bike for a long time. We, we got you covered. If we have any modification, we're gonna send you another one. You bring, you send us back your old one. We're gonna reuse it, remold it, re, uh, reuse it basically. And and I did a bit of research, and I had also this idea of a bag that you can actually tweak and you can modify and you can change your reach and all these little things. So I did a little bit of research, and boom, Guerrilla Gravity just popped out the first one. So I went on the Instagram and I contacted uh, contacted them on Instagram just randomly and then boom right away I got an answer an answer and then we started to talk together we had a first meeting and really my my question at first it wasn't really about the bike itself it was more about what what do we what do you guys do for the environment like what what's your what's your goal here 
And everything, like all the time we were talking, we were like, you know, ticking one box and then another box and then another box. And, and the whole philosophy behind like having a different material that nobody use in the mountain biker world right now, that's not aluminum, it's not traditional carbon, they can recycle it. Uh, for me, it was really appealing. The, the fact that you can change the geometry of the bike, you can go from 120 millimeter bike to a 160 millimeter bike without changing the foot frame. Like for me, it was it was just like wow, is, is like is this company actually real? And 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 very, you know, like human. Like I was talking to Will, to Matt. We they are the, the founder of the company, which was really uh, interesting. I used to write for Giant, which is the complete opposite. I've wrote for Giant for four years, and Giant is the complete opposite. And I never, I never got the chance or the opportunity to talk with the boss at Giant. Never, never, I never got a message from the boss at Giant telling me, "Oh, you're doing a good job." Never. <laughs> but this, this really, uh, you know, it feels like a family. And for me, like we we talked about, you know, like carbon footprints and all this kind of stuff and we we have some some we exchanges some data and researches that they did just for me and for this particular reason first and everything was you know like getting getting better and better the, the carbon footprint that they that they have compared to traditional carbon or aluminium shipping up from taiwan is way better and it's it's uh and it's great and and of course you know like reading the comments from the release <laughs> From, from the release on Friday, there's always people, you know, saying, whoa, whoa, you, you promote mountain biking and you, you push yourself, ourselves to consume and everything. Of course, but this is the world we live in right now. We can't avoid it. People consume things, but we can do it in a different way. And promoting a brand from Colorado, making everything in Colorado with like some work conditions that are probably really good for people, good salaries for people and everything. Like, you know, this is the bigger picture here. Yeah. We're really trying to eat the economy in the US. Like, you know, it, it kind of make everything better. You know, like it's, a, it's not just climate change. It's a lot of things. Then I was like, okay, well, this is great. Now I need to test a bike because maybe this bike is garbage. <laughs> that was a little bit, you know, like maybe the bike doesn't work. That'd be a problem. <laughs> what do we do? That would be a problem so for they, you. Yeah. Totally. So they sent me a bike and then um, did some testing with it. And so proper testing, like the way I do normally. So back-to-back -back testing with the clock, just really see like feelings and the clock is always different. Sometimes you can feel amazing on a bike, but you're slow as fuck. And, and it can be, <laughs> it's true. And for me, you know, like it's always like, what is fast? Does it feel good? And is it fast? And the, the timing where wasn't lying as well. And it was very, very, very surprising for me at first. And I was like, I was not expecting that at all. Like, no, I was not expecting that. Like the bike was fast, it was feeling good. And the first thing that I felt is that it was really absorbing, you know, vibrations from the terrain is something that I've never felt before on any other bike. And I think this is due to the material that they use. Revd is something that barely anybody has tried in the world, you know, yet. We tried aluminum, we tried carbon, we tried different type of stuff, but we haven't tried Revd yet. And it was really, uh, really eye-opening for me. And then, boom, there was another box ticked. And I was like, okay, well, let's go ahead. Let's do something right together. And here we are. I want to hear you say more about the bike felt really good. Because on the one hand, I think about bike or a car or a pair of skis feeling good is a little different if we are like also talking about trying to make something really fast right? Like, I don't know that if I were to go get into a Formula One race car, it won't feel good. It won't feel good. <laughs> so like, help us out here, like in, in your own thought process, like yeah. it still seems like kind of number one, you actually need a bike to be fast first. Feeling good is a secondary characteristic. Would you agree with that? Totally. Okay. If we're talking about a pair of like race skis, if we're talking about a Formula One car, if we're talking about a race bike, when you say it feels good, it still needs to be set up fast. And so, like, mm -hmm. that's pretty different from me as a non-racer. I get to have my bike just feel good. And, it, and if it's two seconds slower, it's not that big a deal. How do you think about these competing aims of making something feel good and making it 
be fast. For, for, for example, all my bikes right now, they are kind of set up. Like, for example, if you if you would use one of my bikes, it's probably not going to feel good for you. For me, yeah, <laughs> I, I believe you. It's probably not going to feel really great. Suspensions are really hard, you know, like it's very... Uh, tire pressure is really low, like it's very... Uh, it's, it's very, it's set up to go fast on the bike and to really bam, take the impacts so you don't take it in the face and you actually can carry speed, which is the, the main thing. So all my bikes are really like that. And when I compare things and then when I say that the bike was feeling great, it was really in comparison to another bike that's kind of set up the same way, similar way, made to go fast and to go race. Now, all the bikes that we use in Enduro and maybe even in Darnil, they are kind of the same bikes that everybody can buy right now. So my, my old bike, my commensal bike was the same bike that you could go buy and you could get, you can race with, which is, you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, we are talking about formula one. I've never seen someone take the start of a formula one race with a, a Peugeot, a Peugeot, Peugeot 306. <laughs> It doesn't exist, you know? So I think that there's something that's really cool with Guerrilla Gravity as well, is that they are not scared at all to make me something that's going to allow me to go fast, real fast, which is kind of cool. And when when I did the testing for the Grim Donut, I don't know if you saw that with Pinkbike, so I did this testing with his bike, and then at first, you know, I was like, well, there is no way this bike is going to go anywhere. You know, like, I'm probably not going to corner with it. Like, it's going to be a piece of shit, which it was. Like, you know, like, the way it was made and everything, it was it was a shopping cart. It was it was pretty, uh, like, we even, like, we love so hard with Mike Levy when I, when I was riding his thing. So, what the fuck? <laughs> the bottom bracket was super low. I was eating the pedal everywhere. I couldn't pedal. It was, it was, uh, it was a shit show. But this bike was so fucking fast. It was insane. And I didn't have the feeling that I was going fast at all, which was kind of, which was kind of crazy. The bike was super long, super slack. I was centered right in the middle. I had, I had the feeling that I could quarter like way, way faster than with any other bikes. And I was, it was stable. It was kind of, it was kind of crazy. So for me, it was a big eye opener, and I shared that with Gigi. And Matt, the, the engineer at Gigi, was like, well. Let's do some testing here. Let's, you know, like we're going to send you a size three and a size four bike, which is a, a large and an extra large. We're going to adjust the size four so you can actually sit on it and it's not going to be too high and everything. So they did a few tweaks here and there. And now I have three, two, two bikes, a size three and a size four, just to do like some proper back-to-back testing and to really see which one is faster. You know, like where do we go? Because the bike feels really good, as I said earlier, but how... And that was on the size three when I did the testing, but I'm like, now let's try a different size to really see which one is faster. And then when we're going to know, okay, this bike is faster on this kind of terrain, this bike is faster on this kind of terrain. Now, how can we make this bike or these bikes even faster? Let's go crazy. Here. Let's, ch- let's try a longer chain stay, for example. Nobody has done that. The chain stay on Guerrilla Gravity on the Nirvana is pretty long already. It's 45. Normally on a regular bike, on a regular enduro bike, you're at 43.3, 43.5. So we are one and a half centimeter longer already. But what about if we go a little bit longer? So you're really centered on the bike. You know, you don't have to move forward or fall back on the bike. You, boom, dead center. And then you corner and you, broop, broop. <laughs> you know, the bike is a fucking rail. You spend less energy, yeah, carry more speed. So there's there's a lot of things that we're kind of thinking about, and we, we're just gonna do it. Playtime. Just gonna go for this it. This is play playtime. Play now it's playtime. It's good. And there's no there's no real secret. You know, at some point I've I've said it with the when I did the video with the the Grim Donut, I was like to Mike Levy to Mike Levy, I said, dude, we take this bike the way it is right now. We go to Chile to do the EWS in Chile, and you you put like a really good rider. The guy gonna win is gonna win by a minute with his bike, clearly. So, yeah, like without without a doubt, the bike was a, was a tank. It was it was a, it was a rocket? It, like, it's insane. So it's kind of it's kind of for me it's kind of funny that in the mountain bike world where there is quite a bit of money involved, there's all these teams going to races and stuff, but the the racers are actually riding the same bike 
that everybody is riding. You know, you can have the same same kind of design, same suspension, linkage, and everything, but the bike is actually made for racing. You know, it, it can be slacker, it can be longer, it can. It's the same bike, but that's a race bike. Well, yeah, sounds like with Matt. I mean, from the hours I spent with him, you have a you have a kindred spirit in somebody who isn't afraid to tinker. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's really good to work to work with Matt and Will because they are really, uh, you know, they are they are really on it and they really listen to feedbacks. And sometimes they they tell me, no, that that's uh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> I'm talking I'm talking to them about a the gearbox. I'm like, this this is going to be the future in mountain biking, but then they are still like, uh, we don't know about that. The gearbox, <laughs> yeah, that's is a this is a increasingly heated topic and question I think for a lot of people, and we'll see how we'll see how things unfold. Just a couple more questions before I let you get going. Talk to me a little bit about this upcoming year. You're healing up from an injury. What? are your plans looking like for 2021 maybe even into 2022 how far out are you daring to try to plan things at the moment well it's very right now it's very complicated with covid of course i was starting to look at doing maybe a few races this year because i so last year when i started the coaching business i also decided to kind of step away a little bit from racing because i really felt I was, I was getting ready in the winter, so 2019, 2020, to go race in 2020. But my knee was very weak still. And with the load of training and everything, it was really painful. And I was like, well, that's going to be a really tough season. And so COVID happened, which was kind of like kind of a lucky, lucky thing, lucky in some ways. I'm not going to say that was lucky, but then, then stepping away. And I really felt like my knee needed some rest in some ways, like he couldn't take the load of training and stuff. And now going back to the gym, biking, skiing and stuff, I don't have any pain anymore, like or barely, which is really, it kind of allowed me to taking this break kind of allowed my body just to chill out a little bit. And now I feel like, okay, it's actually, uh, it's not holding me down at all. I, of course I, I can't run a, a marathon, but I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it feels great. So I was looking a little bit at the, the EWS schedule for this year, planning on maybe doing a couple of races here and there, maybe a bit more. But it really depends on, the, you know, like if I have to go, for example, to Europe, do I need to quarantine 14 days? When I come back to Canada, do I need to come back 14 days? Because I can't, like in my situation right now, with, uh, you know, being a parent and, and having, a, having a business, I can't really do that. You know, I, I cannot do that. So... It will be, uh, it will be, the racing will be depending on, on COVID and how things evolve with that first. And if uh, things go well, then yeah, let's do, let's go race a little bit. Let's try some stuff that we are testing and, uh, let's check it out. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the racing aspect. Then there is the coaching aspect that's going to grow as well. We're going to organize a bunch of camps this year. So skill session also in Whistler, uh, in May. June, July, and September. So we have three three week sessions happening in Whistler. So if you wanna, if you are in the Sea to Sky corridor, you're planning to visit people, just go on www.barilyconcept.com, check out the dates, book online or whatever. Um, we're gonna have some other coaches also working for us, which is pretty uh, pretty rad. We are hiring coaches, which is good, and a bunch of. Uh, bunch of videos and contents for all my uh, my sponsors that I'm like every sponsors that I'm working with right now I really we really establishing like a really good relationship and every sponsor are really important you know like I've we chose each other for a reason and we are gonna give back to each other we're really gonna spend a lot of time working on like the environment, working on products, like working on all this kind of stuff, which is super fulfilling. Yeah, intentional partnerships. Totally. It's not just like, oh yeah, okay, you're going to give me $10,000 more. No, it doesn't doesn't work like that. Oh, actually, all the choices that I made this year, it, it's, uh, you know, there's an impact working with smaller brands Then the salary are not the same as working with a big brand, for example. So I'm actually uh, taking a little bit of, a, you know, cutting salaries in some ways. But the fulfillment around it is, is so much better. And there's, there is different ways to work with brand. And I think it's a, 
it's super rad. Like it's really, really, really fulfilling. All right. Well, Johan, this is the part of the conversation where we like to ask our guest, what's your big idea? Now, you've already talked about a number of pretty big ideas in this conversation, but is there anything that just comes to mind in the moment or anything that kind of keeps you up at night thinking through and the, you know, the gears are spinning in your mind? What's your big idea for us? My big idea is that we should all live naked. No, I'm joking. <laughs> All right. It's a little cold right now here in Crested Butte, maybe in Whistler too, but like, all right, if you insist. It's really cold outside. No, it's, it's, that would be a bad idea. Okay. I think that my idea and what's in my mind these days, it's, you know, like this, with this all like uh, sustainability in the world and climate change and all these things that we have to think about and everything. Like, I think really that, you know, like, for example, it goes with, like, oil uh, versus electricity, like, all these all batteries and all this kind of stuff. And I think that it's kind of funny because we, we like to think that there is one solution to solve every problem. That's a little bit, you know, like, okay, the, the oil industry, you know, like, we are lacking oil and stuff like that, so we have to go electric. Yep. And I think that if we go electric, complete, everybody goes electric, we are going to face some of our problems at some point, of course. You know, like the, the, the minerals and everything that goes into the batteries, we, at some point they're going to get, uh, they're going to disappear and then it's going to create some over wars and shit like that, and which is kind of, which is nasty. And I think that right now in the world, we are kind of doing things way too much in some areas. And we are doing things way not enough in some other areas. And we just kind of need to balance things a little bit. You know, there is no, there is no right or wrong, really. We just need to kind of adjust everything. For example, right now, and that's in the mountain bike world, everything, almost everything is made overseas. Mm -hmm. You know, it's made in China or it's made in Taiwan. And I read an article now that even China, they actually subcontract for example, Congo. So they have like orders coming from like, for example, Europe coming into China and China are like, well, we, we actually want to make more money here. And they kind of go towards Congo mm. where the conditions of labor are completely crazy. And it's like child labor and all this kind of stuff. You know, like we, we, we doing that way too much and we need to balance things. And one of the reasons also to, to go with, with Gigi is that we can also bring back some of the knowledge back to continents and what they are doing at Gigi, this factory, they can totally re replicate it to Europe, for example, which means that the, the frames and everything that are made right now in the US, we can totally have another factory in Europe mm. and do that in Europe as well. So there is no like the carbon footprints will be less. You bring, it's, it's good for the economy. It's good for, you know, like you, you really, you can really control the, the condition of labor for people, salaries and everything. And I think that's really, uh, that's really what we, what we need. And as a consumer, we should be, and that's our, a little bit uh, our duty to know where our things come from. Yeah. When you buy something from China, well, who made that? You know, like what's, what's the, who actually made that? What, what's his salary? Like all these things that we don't care, we don't even think about, but we need to think about, about all these things and really balance things a little bit more. Right now it's completely, uh, it's complete, the world is completely unbalanced, mm. I think. And we need to just whoop, readjust a little bit everything and, and go back to, uh, well, normal, no, but go back to something, go to something that we never experienced before. That's right. Yeah. It's not a, yeah. it's not a return. It's a like, it's, it's, it's a new thing because we have all this knowledge. We have all, all this technology. We have all, we have all these things and going back to, you know, like some people think that we need to go back into communities and we need to like grow our own veggies. And this is life. You know, like you, you don't spend any money. You just, you just live in your little bubble. But yes, it's a, it's a good it's a good idea, and there's nothing there's nothing against that. But you're really avoiding basically the life, what's happening right now in the world. You're completely avoiding it. But right now we have we have all of that, so let's use it, but in a different way. That's a little bit my uh, my idea, and I think one of the vision that I have for the future in this world 
is that we really need to balance things again. Well, Johan, this has been really fun. Really good to connect you. with you. I love the stuff that you're talking about with the coaching and like, yeah, it'll be fun getting to, you know, see you on a bike more and racing again and, and seeing edits coming out, but it's a cool trajectory you're on right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of questions for myself as well. It was like, you know, like questioning myself while I'm, I, is what I'm doing right, you know, like for my career and for, and am I, you know, like, am I, you know, doing things, am I actually uh, all here in my head? <laughs> but then, but then you, you know, you do, you do that and you really feel it in yourself, you know, like it's really, uh, it's really fulfilling. You feel, you feel good and you have, and then when you release that, what happened on Friday, the, the, the feedback was just amazing, you know, like it's, uh, so it's like, okay, well, we are in a good, uh, it's a good, it's a good place to be right now. Yeah. Well, good for you. And we look forward to talking to you again. I look forward to the next for time sure, down too. the line. Cause I, I guarantee the next time we do this, there's going to be some new stuff that you've spun up and that's always exciting. So, uh, keep doing what you do and thank you. Best of luck. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Jonathan. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas. Thanks to Yoan for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.